funding glove compartment of Thelma Louise's Thunderbird is the IGN DigiGuide. Please welcome the last king of Scotland, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. What? What happened? No, I, I don't know. You, you pointed at me, but you you always start, so I wait until you do your little thing, and then I talk. Uh, there's nothing. I just thought I'd surprise you today. And it did. <laughs> you know, Wade, uh, uh, we, just, uh, got, uh, <laughs> we just got through uh, checking out a uh, really, really, really special must-buy Blu-ray. Yes, we did. We'll be talking about it today. We will. Oh, special must-buy oh, Blu-ray. What could it be? Mortgage your home. In fact, when you just to give you a hint... Yeah. You shouldn't take your own car to dr- to drive no. to the store in to fact, buy this Blu-ray. In fact, let me tell you something about this this Blu-ray. Um, and you're right. You should not take your own car. You, you should, should take another mode of transportation. That you pay for. Yes, yes, driven by another person. And, you know, this movie, it's good for a date because all the, all the couples go, go to see this movie. <laughs> all the couples go to see this movie. Some we'll nerds. talk about that. We'll talk later. about it in the moment. Uh, yeah, and, and you know we got a ton of stuff to cover. Honestly, there there are weeks where things are thin, and I feel like we're stretching. And then you look at a lot of this straight to video stuff, and you're like, oh my gosh, we got filler. We can we could plug a couple of these things, but it's going to be a dismal show. And then there are weeks where suddenly it's an avalanche. This is an avalanche. It's an avalanche week. And uh, we've got a few interesting things. Basically, we're going we're to be talking about, apart from a few things right off the, off the top, uh, it's all new movies and kid stuff today. Bunch of kid stuff. A lot of interesting kids, kid stuff, actually. Which is great, because neither you or I have kids. So no, we don't. Point? That's So we can ridicule it and, um, and not and, feel and, guilty. And feel like we're superior yes, exactly. <laughs> to the DVDs, because yeah. we have no kids. Make fun of all the people who have children and send us pictures Aww. of their children. It, it happens. Uh, anyway, uh, a couple of docs right off the top. Uh, Kings of Pastry is a, a surprisingly great documentary. I don't know if anybody saw this, but Chris Hegedus and D.A. Pennebaker, uh, one of the great documentary teams of the last you know, 25, 30 years, uh, previously did The War Room and Don't Look Back. You know, two great films, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. great films. You think Kings of Pastry. What the hell? Uh, this is from uh, First Run Features, and this is actually really terrific. I remember I talked about this on the radio at the time when it came out theatrically. And uh, this is uh, – it, it's kind of like – I guess it's like a, like a hoop dreams for chefs might be the best way to do it. But you're, they focus on this competition for this incredible um, cuisinary culinary award in France – and um, 16 different chefs vie for this thing on a yearly basis. And I'll tell you, don't watch this movie hungry. Um, but apart from the fact that it makes you incredibly, incredibly jealous of people who know how to make food, not just edible, but an art, uh, it's, it's just a really great look inside a world that isn't often, doesn't have, often have a light shined on it. You know, we get these evil chef TV shows or, you know, Iron Chef or, you know, Gordon Ramsay screaming they had, at people. They, they had but one, they had this one, is beautiful. They had one called Cupcake Wars. You know, I'm watching this show called See, Cupcake just, Wars. Mi- yeah, it's, and it, it, it seemed like a lot of work for a cupcake. It's a uh, lot of drama. A lot of manufactured reality show drama yeah. for a freaking cupcake. I, I can go know. to Seven Eleven get a cupcake for seventy five cents. I know, I know. And by the way, did did you know that uh, D. A. Pennebaker and uh, Chris Hedges they're uh, spouses? Yes, exactly. They're but, husbands but, and wives. You know, it doesn't diminish the uh, the filmmakingness. No, it's 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 all good. Yeah. No, th- this is terrific. And then uh, also a little doc that won our uh, Lafka documentary award here, Mark. 
Yes, Last Train Home. You know, Last Train Home, the uh, director of the film actually appeared to uh, pre- uh, accept his award. Yeah. And he gave a very long, I have to say, <laughs> but a relatively entertaining speech. It was. Where he actually whipped out his, uh, his camera phone yeah. from the podium and to document the experience of winning the award for his family back home. It was just great. He started taking uh, videos from the podium of all of us sitting in our chairs. Terrific. Uh, well, the filmmaker we're talking about is uh, Li Xin Fan, and if that sounds like it just might be Chinese, yep, sure is. Uh, this is from Zeitgeist, and uh, Last Train Home uh, is a, a really a very good doc. I, I was one of those in the room who had not seen it at the time we voted, I must confess. But um, it's very good. And we are we are named right here on the back winner 2010 best documentary. That's Los right. Angeles Film and Produce. the great thing about it is uh, is uh, is uh, an hour after watching it, you want to watch it again. Yeah, there you go. No, it uh, what this is this is uh, basically a look at the uh, the the great New Year's migrations in uh, in China, which are extraordinary. I mean, it's like every spring. Uh, there are 130 migrant work- workers who uh, go home from the major Chinese cities during the New Year uh, celebration. And it's just this massive, giant, enormous migration all over the country. And it's extraordinary. There's nothing like it. I mean, we have no, you know, Thanksgiving. How many people move around the United States on Thanksgiving? A lot. Maybe, I mean, there's a billion Chinese. So yeah, I know. Gonna... But, you know, in, a, in relatively the same space, you know, it's pretty crowded. And when 130 million people are on the move, mostly in trains, all at the same time, well, that's, that's a big deal. Sure. It's, good film. It's, it's, good sort, film. it's sort of like those, uh, those uh, shots you see of, like the, like, the train system, like in India. Yeah. Where they're all standing on the top and on the roof and on the sides and they're, they're holding up for dear life. Totally. Uh, Wade, uh, let's talk about a little thing we like to call uh, comedy. Okay. Uh, Sarah Silverman, who's the caboose? Sarah Silverman is uh, funny. I'm sort of warming to Sarah Silverman. I've been, I was last on the Sarah Silverman train because I, here's the thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a fan of like, uh, okay, I love swearing. I swear all the time. In fact, if I got paid for swearing, I'd be a rich man. But I don't like it just for the sake of it. Yeah. Like if you swear in your act, it's got to be, it's got to be a punch. That really uh, makes the joke that makes the joke hit that much harder. It's got to have a dramatic impact. Yes, if you're just it saying does. the F word all the time, then it has no meaning. And there are a lot of comics that do that. And I find that Sarah Silverman was kind of like that for me. I felt like she she got a, she got a pass because you know she's attractive and she's got that kind of uh, cubie doll babyish strange little voice. But I'm kind of warming uh, I'm warming up to her. But anyway, this is. Um, Sarah Silverman, David Cross, uh, H. John Benjamin, Laura Keitlinger, uh, who I've met, who's very nice, and uh, it's good stuff. It's um, it's a sort of a prequel to um, pilot season, and it's all about a, f- a film crew making a documentary on a supposed like a deadly disease among homeless people, and uh, you know, uh, the film crew stops at this comedy club, and they decide that they're gonna shoot Sarah, uh, this girl Susan who's a comic played by Sarah Silverman at this comedy club and uh, takes place in New York and craziness ensues it's funny I have to say it is, it is funny you know it's certainly funnier than the last thing she did that uh, God is love or God is God is great whatever the hell that, that other yeah, thing yeah, was yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah. like that this yeah. is better this is Who's the Caboose and uh, Mark Maron's in it too so is Kathy Griffin Andy Dick uh, there are no extras on this thing but it's still funny um, also go. from the good folks at um, Image. No, this is actually. You know what? This is. Uh, well, hang on a second. Wait. No, no wait. Check this out. 
Yellow. Yes. Right. Iron Films. Yes. Yellow. Yeah. Yellow. Yes. Wait, actually, this is yellow and red, Sarah Silverman. Yes, right. Yellow and red. Kathleen Madigan. Image Entertainment. Interesting. Two different companies. Wow. Both Similar comedy, marketing motifs. Similar packaging motifs. Anyway, I, um, I am a gigantic Kathleen Madigan fan. I really? just want to say that. I think she is outrageously funny. Why? She's just friggin' hilarious. But women aren't funny. Just kidding. Uh-huh. Oh, how dare I say that. Um, anyway, Amy Madigan, uh, she's kind of funny. This is on Blu-ray for some reason. Uh, I would not really go out and, out, of, out of my way to buy this on uh, I Blu-ray. Would. I would. It's Kathy Madigan. Um, yes, Madigan. Funny stuff. You know what? Louis Black, I know, is a big fan of Kathy Madigan. And this is a DVD shot at the Gramercy Theater in New York City. And uh, Madigan t- talks about, uh, you know, uh, uh, politics and, uh, you know, her, her family and culture and whatnot. And uh, it's good stuff. Not one of my favorites. Wade likes her more than I do. Uh, but, she's uh, always ripping on her dad. She's hysterical. Yeah, fine. Worth uh, getting on Blu-ray. Dennis Leary started as a... Kind of uh, cute, too. St- Dennis Leary? Uh, no, Kathleen Madigan. Okay. Dennis Leary started as a straight stand-up, and then he's kind of gone all over the place. an actor, and he's on Rescue Me, and now he does do a, a stand-up occasionally. And here, uh, we have a DVD called Dennis Leary and Friends Present Douchebags and Donuts. This features uh, Lenny Clark and Whitney Cummings. Um, and it's funny stuff. I think Dennis Leary can be a very, just a, just a, a wickedly angry, funny, acerbic, mean comedian. Lenny Clark is in it, too. I know Lenny Clark is big with the Boston crowd. I was never a big fan of Lenny Clark. But uh, there's good stuff in here, including some musical performances that are good. Uh, you know, from the good folks at Comedy Central slash Paramount. Uh, you, know, you know what I like about Dennis Leary? And even if you don't like his comedy, the thing you have to respect is he prepares. And people don't realize this, just how intensely well he prepares for his material. He, it is all extremely well scripted. Because when he goes off on, on those rants... That is straight scripted stuff, and he hardly takes a breath in about five minutes. And then he just goes, and he just goes, and he just goes. And that is a mouthful of stuff to have to memorize, to have to get your timing right, to have to hit the beats right with the laughs, to anticipate the audience. I mean, he's, he's a very skilled comic, and I don't think people give him enough credit. But compare that amount of preparation and ranting and yeah. timing to your rant about... Zack Snyder yeah, which on was, Stupid for Movies yeah, at well, stupidformovies.com. You know, which, which Chad Vader uh, very nicely spoofed. I he, feel so flattered. He spoofalized it. Um, before we move into movies, I want to give a little, uh, well, regular movies. This is kind of a movie. Uh, KJB. No, no, no. Not, not the, uh, the Russian spy agency. That's the KGB. This is KJB, King James Bible. This is the amazing tale of the birth of the King James Bible, just in time for Easter. And we have some, we've talked a little bit in the last couple of weeks. We had, uh, you know, King of Kings and uh, uh, The Greatest Story Ever Told. All the Jesus stuff has been getting released for Easter. And this is kind of another one. This is uh, hosted by John Reese Davies, who, uh, for whom one generation, one generation remembers him as the troll in uh, Lord of the Rings. Others of us remember him as from, uh, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, for crying out loud. Because, you know, he was great in it. He was. And uh, anyway, this is uh, a little bit of dramatization, kind of a, a – it's a little bit sensationalistic, i got to say. It tries to – this is the thing about it. I, I'll, I'll guardedly recommend this just because the story of the King James Bible is interesting, but the story of the Bible in general is even more interesting. So even though this – what they kind of do here is they pick one of the less sensationalistic aspects of the origin of Christian Scripture or the creation of Christian Scripture, and they sensationalize it. All right, fine. You know, I guess 
for for Easter, whatever. It'll it'll please people. It's not uh, you know it's not the greatest thing, but it's fine. But you know what? It stars the guy who in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, he was the one who caught the poison date in his that's hand right. so that Indy wouldn't eat it and die. Uh, that's right, with the monkey. The monkey. And the scene. monkey. Oh, that's such a good scene. Exactly. And uh, lastly, there's a Super Bowl. Um, uh, what is it? Uh, Forty five. XLV. <laughs> Sick of the Roman numerals. They got to stop that at a certain point. Don't they? Well, soon it'll be uh, Super Bowl M. Yeah, I know. Right. Like robot. <laughs> yeah. The robot giants versus the robot. Super Bowl uh, 45 champions, Green Bay Packers. This is from uh, Warner Brothers and NFL Films. This is, basically is just strictly for all you Wisconsin people who uh, are not necessarily working for the Wisconsin government, who uh, aren't out picketing. Um, go grab yourself a DVD and relive the glory of the Packers. It'll just it'll make the whole family happy. They're, they're Super Bowl champions once again. And I love the Packers. Wait, no one cares about any of that. All right. You know why? Here's, here's what people care about. Wait, every second, wait. I know. There's a movie, Wade. Yes, there is. This movie was... Uh, no, All the couples no, go no, to this movie. Now, maybe you can guess what this movie is, based on some facts. Okay. Uh, the movie was nominated for four Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Actor. Star Wars? Uh, no. Okay. It won the 1976 uh, pa- uh, uh, the Palm d'Or, the 1976 Cannes Film Festival. Rocky? No, no. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's uh, been selected for preservation at the uh, United States National Film Registry. Sucker Punch? Now, no, no. Now, the, uh, uh, the anti-hero of the film was named the 30th greatest villain in film history, according to the AFI. 30th greatest villain? Yes, in the history of uh, movies, uh, as so named by AFI. Really? I know, I know you're thinking, oh, it's got to be uh, Silence of the Lambs, right? It's got to be yeah, uh, Hannibal yeah, Lecter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's no. not. Wait. No. Yeah. Um... Hmm. This movie is called uh, Chairman of the Board. <laughs> Carrot Top. Wow, Carrot that's top. amazing. I'm, I'm, I wouldn't have guessed. It's Wait. Four Academy Awards, really. Yeah. Palm Door. That's yeah. amazing. That Carrot Top he gets around. It is time for all of you to uh, press pause okay. on, your, uh, on your iPod. That's it. And uh, run to the store and go buy what? Taxi Driver. Blu-ray. Of course. Yep. Got to buy right now. Absolutely. Got to go get it. This is, uh, this is unreal. This really is just... Here's, here's the thing that I most love about this is that the the grain structure... The film is a pretty grainy film. You know, Scorsese shot himself a real grainy film. He was a young filmmaker back in the day, and it is it captures the gritty graininess of New York, and uh, the inclination would normally be, yeah, let's just uh, really polish it up and take the grain out, which they can do when they digitally master films for Blu-ray, but no... It is grainy and beautiful and pristine and fabulous. And there's uh, no way Scorsese was going to let them no. scrub all the. No. Scorsese is one of the great film preservationists. Absolutely, he was never going to let them scrub all the grain no. out of that thing. Absolutely not. Although you know, some people like Cameron would probably want them to do it. You know, his new thing: shoot movies at 48 or 60 frames a second. Yeah, so it's like it's like so, looking so, at yourself or something. It's so looking, no, so it looks like soap operas and and the the evening news. He's he's crazy. He's nuts. It's it's stupid. <laughs> he's he's you know that's that's dumb. He doesn't get it. Anyway, uh, no, this, this uh, fantastic new uh, Taxi Driver Blu-ray is just breathtaking. And uh, it's loaded with extras. It's got um, the original 1986 commentary with uh, Scorsese and Schrader, which was done for the Criterion Collection release. Now, this is a big deal because nobody has ever been able to get hold of Criterion Collection commentaries for non-Criterion Collection releases. Somehow, Sony went back to Criterion and paid them a buttload of money for the rights to their original commentary. Well, because it shows you that this is basically 
this is the, this is this is the, this the is definitive. The, this is the definitive. This they is want the, it to uh, be the last. They don't want anybody out there saying, "Boy, I wish I had." I'm going to hang on to my Criterion Laserdisc. No, this is the home video release or, of record for this yeah, movie. It is. Uh, it, it's it's a big freaking deal, and um, that is. I mean, that alone, as far as I'm concerned, done. That, even if the movie were a crappy transfer, just to get that commentary on a Blu-ray, done. That's it. Anyway, you have this cool interactive script to screen uh, function on the Blu-ray. You've got commentaries by Paul Schrader and a this professor guy named Robert uh, Kolker. Um, a little bit Martin Scorsese talking about the film, a, little, a bunch of featurettes, ton of featurettes, uh, tributes, a little making of documentary. Uh, I mean, it's just it's all great stuff. A little thing on the locations of the film, uh, you know, comparing them from then as to now, thirty freaking years later, thirty five years later, thirty six years later. Uh, it's it's just tremendous. It really is tremendous. You you have to get it, and uh, I wish the packaging were a little better. It's uh, in it's one of these. It's confusing, actually. It's a little confusing. It's kind of a trifold digipack packaging, so it's not going to protect the disc as well as you probably might like. But who cares? It's just this is it. Put it in a ziploc if you need that. It's the best taxi driver, man. Looks great. The sound oh. is the, the only thing I'll say about it, and there's nothing they could do about that. Is the sound was never great to begin with, and it certainly has not. It's vaguely been improved now. It sounds like production sound. That's true. That's very true. Uh, Otherwise, go buy it now. Quick mention for those of you who were fans of the uh, dreadful Luc Besson film, Arthur and the Invisibles. uh, They actually somehow came out with two more movies, believe it or not. Uh, Arthur and the Invisibles 2 and Arthur and the Invisibles 3, which are now together on one release. Two full-length movies, Arthur and the Invisibles 2 and 3, The New Minimoy Adventures. I found this very strange animated thing... This weird mixture of live action and animation, and it's just, I found it to be really incredibly annoying and uh, at the same time highly formulaic. It's like Tom Thumb meets Lord of the Rings meets some weird, uh, I don't know, it's just dreadful. Uh, and Freddie Highmore, who had a really great career going, kind of tanked his career after making these two films, and he's in both of these as well, so he's not doing, so, I don't know. I, I, don't, think it's, I don't think it's a good move, but anyway, there you go. Arthur and the Invisibles, two and three. I've already said more about it than I deserve to. Oh, wait. I'm a big fan of I Love You, Philip Morris, uh, with Jim Carrey and Ewan McGregor. I know. I'm not. I don't, I don't get this film. I think this movie is outrageous and funny and surprising and uh, totally, it's totally non-mainstream. And that's why I'm surprised you don't like it. It's totally outside of the mainstream. You know what? It is outside the mainstream, but here's the thing. It, it didn't make any it, – emotionally, it didn't make any sense to me. I never bought that relationship. And it's not that it doesn't, you know, it's not that it's like, oh, I'm a straight guy. You don't understand gay relationships. No, I mean, there are plenty of movies with gay relationships where I just, you, I get it. You're drawn in. You know, it's like. Uh, Wait, you're a straight guy. You just don't go and get gay relationships. I know, maybe. No. It, it, but it's just, this one, it just, there was no chemistry between the two of them. Uh, this is the uh, directing debut of uh, Glenn Ficarra and John Requa. These are the uh, two very funny screenwriters behind uh, Bad Santa. Uh, these guys are out there. I, I, it's funny, I, I remember. Reading an article, an article about Fakar uh, uh, and Requa when they were talking about making their directing debut, and their, their quote was something along the lines of, "We were tired of seeing other directors ruin our scripts. We now like a chance to ruin. We now like a shot yeah, at ruining our own script ourselves." Yeah, that, that line's stolen from Billy Wilder. That's yes. Billy Wilder's line. Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it's good stuff. It's really good stuff. Uh, this is uh, Jim Carrey and McGregor play a gay, gay couple. 
Jim Carrey gives a bold, outrageous, crazy, out there performance. It's the type of movie where if Jim Carrey is going to continue being outrageous in movies, which we're getting tired of, at least be outrageous in something like this, which is so transgressive and so different that he sort of fits into it. Because uh, otherwise his career isn't really evolving into much. Uh, special features include a commentary and a uh, making of and some d- deleted scenes. But uh, I recommend I Love You, Philip Morris. Do you need it on Blu-ray? You do not. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. Uh, a little indie film from last year that I also had the privilege of talking about on the radio. I don't know, privilege, but uh, The Taquacores. This is T-A-Q-W-A-C-O-R-E-S, in case you need to go look it up. This is a bit of a tedious film, but it has some interesting aspects to it. I've bumped around a little bit on my opinions in this. I mean, it really, it just is just, it is lugubrious. It is languorous. It is drawn out. Cantankerous? Cantankerous. It, yeah, sure. It's a canker sore. What? It uh, here's what this movie's about. It's a little bit like you remember the believer, the Ryan Gosling thing, where sure. he's a Jew, but he's a, he's a, he's a he's also a skinhead. And how do how do we reconcile that? It's like this contradiction, this religious cultural contradiction. It's a little bit the same thing here. This is about a guy named Yusuf, who's a uh, Pakistani American engineering student, and he he becomes basically he's a devout Muslim, but he's also a punker. And the Taqwa Corps is the, it's basically the, like this Muslim punk rock scene. And he, it's somehow you, you, you struggle with him to find the dividing line between being devout and being a Muslim punker. And, you know, it, it, it gets into a lot of the same kind of religious, social, immigrant struggle issues that a lot of these movies increasingly are trying to explore. Um, I don't know if it's entirely successful. It's ambitious. I give it props for being ambitious and having a certain certain uh, flair, but uh, it uh, it still doesn't completely work. But you know, hey, it's it's different, and I, I'll always give a movie props for being different. Because you know, Wade, you're a lover. I'm a lover, not a fighter. No. A couple more. Uh, well, these are you know exploitation film deals here. Uh, the Corman cult classics line has come out with an action-packed triple feature. This includes Georgia Peaches, The Great Texas Dynamite Chase, and Smokey Bites the Dust with Jimmy McNichol, of all people. You remember Jimmy McNichol, Mark? Oh, yeah. He was from, uh, what was that show? Jimmy McNichol. Wasn't he in a show, TV show? Yeah, they all were. thinking of Christy McNichol. You're probably thinking of Christy McNichol. You'd remember Jimmy McNichol. And then we got Dirk Benedict and Georgia Peaches, who, you know... Is, along with Tanya Tucker, it's just dreadful. Dirk Benedict, remember the original Starbuck on? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. And who Battle knew Star that? Who knew that that name, synonymous with science fiction for so many years, would become synonymous with coffee? Yes, it's bizarre. Anyway, uh, the the only reason to watch any of these, frankly, is Claudia Jennings in the Great Texas Dynamite Chase. One of the uh, you know Claudia Jennings was sort of the kind of like a you know boobs. That's all I can say. Yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, this is a triple feature of uh, Corman schlocky stuff. Not particularly good. Uh, nothing particularly spectacular on it by way of extras. But if you're a Corman fan, you can you can dive right in. And then uh, Shout Factory gives us another classic uh, double feature of exploitation films. These are better. And I love the fact that they paired these two films together. There is uh, Peter Fonda and Susan George in Mark. Dirty Harry, Crazy Larry. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. That's a great one. Uh, really, that's terrific. That's one of the better things that, that Peter Fonda ever did. I remember when that came out, for crying out loud. How am I dating myself? Vic Morrow was in that when he still had a head. Aww. So sad. I know. Too soon? <laughs> Not soon enough. Yeah. And then Peter Fonda and Warren Oates team up in Race with the Devil. 
which is another, you know, just smash, bang them up uh, 70s era, uh, low budget B movie thing. Um, not as good as Dirty, Dirty Mary Crazy Larry, but certainly uh, pretty close. Pretty close. Uh, listen, both of these have audio commentaries. And uh, they're really very good. Paul Maslansky does the uh, audio commentary uh, with an actress on Race the Devil. And the uh, commentary on um, Dirty Mary Crazy Larry is with writer uh, or uh, director um, John Huff. And uh, it's good. It's all good stuff. So, you know, these movies come from a different, a different era. They do. Shall we say. Not error, because they were good. Yeah. Now, speaking of good... This is your oh, favorite movie of the year. My gosh! Here it comes, Wade. Go tell us how much you love this movie. Little Fockers, the best. Okay, um, Mark, explain your feelings about Little Fockers. Fuck you! <laughs> did you even bother seeing this? No. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't think you did. <laughs> Come on, seriously! Oh it's, my gosh! This, this is a paycheck movie. I, I did. I did. I text you during this movie. Yeah, I did, actually, didn't you know I? what? I was at the. Um, that I was you, at, no. You, I was at the Relativity Christmas party. That's what it was. I knew there was. I knew there was a thing. Yeah, I was at the Relativity Christmas party. Relativity Gosh. Media is a uh, Ryan Cavanaugh's company, yeah. and they bankroll a lot of big movies nowadays. Yeah. Uh, actually, they're almost a, they're a full fledged studio at this point. Yeah, they're almost what, actually Relativity is kind of what Lionsgate was maybe like you know seven ten years ago. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I was at the Relativity uh, Christmas party, and Wade texts me. And I knew that I had not seen Little, Little Fockers because, A, I knew it would be bad, and, B, I'd rather eat free food at a uh, studio Christmas party. Yeah. And uh, I get a text from Wade. And I can't remember what the text said, it was, but it, was, it said something really obscene. <laughs> I was so frustrated. It was just – it was like halfway through the movie, and I was hating life. And I loved the original film. I mean, I really did. Meet the Parents, I think it's terrific. Meet the Fockers, very funny. Not as funny, but it's funny. You know, you get you introduce uh, Streisand and uh, Dustin Hoffman, and Dustin Hoffman, and they're funny, and it's good. This thing, uh, th- apparently, they took forever to negotiate the involvement of Streisand and Hoffman, so they're hardly even in it. They're like you see them on a, you know, by video conference a couple of times, and then at the end of the movie, they show up for like the last ten minutes because I guess they got the contract negotiations out of the way while they were still shooting just in time. It's ridiculous. It's horrible and the plot of the film is it's like the first film recycled except with worse with just terrible unfunny jokes and Owen Wilson's back in it it's just awful really dreadful film and they sent it to us on Blu-ray and DVD combo disc with digital copy doesn't matter a bunch of hokey extras on here BD Live, Pocket Blue, um, and and there's a little another little thing here that's exclusive. They say for limited time only with the Blu-ray, you can instantly stream a bonus movie to your TV or smartphone. You know why they put that on there, Mark? So you get two movies at the price of one? Because the, any other movie, whatever that bonus movie is, it's guaranteed to be better than this. Exactly. It's horrible. Anyway, deleted scenes, alternate ending and opening, and, you know, who cares? Dreadful. Awful, horrible film. Killed a franchise. <laughs> Uh, wait, there's a uh, movie I want to talk about because uh, basically it's not very good. It's called All Good Things. Now, I know what you're saying. Oh, the you're saying other all... Ryan Gosling film from last year. Yes. Now, here's the thing. Yeah. You're thinking to yourself, All Good Things. Oh, is that the final episode of Star Trek The Next Generation? Because that was the name oh, of the final that's episode right, of it Star was. Trek The Next No, no, wait, I'm not talking about that. Yeah. I'm talking about the, um, the other Ryan Gosling The uh, Ryan Gosling, Kirsten Dunst, Frank Langella film. This is uh, directed by Andrew Jarecki. Andrew Jarecki. Who um, he directed an Oscar-nominated documentary, a very good one called "Capturing the Freedmans." He also produced "Catfish." 
So he's uh, been circling around uh, documentary or faux documentary material, but here is a straight dramatic feature. Not very good. It's uh, all about um, – it's actually inspired by a true story about this heir to a New York real estate fortune whose wife disappears. And you know who killed the wife? And where is the wife? And is she even dead? And uh, it's not very good because even though the, the, the real-life story it's based upon is interesting and really kind of captivated the uh, New York press, kind of was like back in the 80s, um, it's still totally melodramatic and cliched and ambiguous. And I was not really uh, – I never really got a sense that Andrew Jarecki really – got a beat on what makes this story so special. Should he change his name to Andrew Drecky? That's not nice. I know. You're mean this week. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I get into those moods once in a, time, once in a while. <laughs> anyway, um, the movie, uh, the Blu-ray, includes a commentary with um, Robert Durst, which is very interesting because Robert Durst is the guy whose story inspired the film. So he's got a lot of interesting things to say about it. Um, Otherwise, not much more to say about all good things. Wade. Bummer. Got a movie here called The Resident. Oh, my gosh. What is wrong with people? Hilary Swank, who has two Academy Awards, uh, decided to go and make just like a stupid generic thriller woman in peril movie. Uh, and it's not good, you know. She's, she's a doctor. Oh, hang that, on for a second. Yeah. Sometimes when an actor... Of that stature. Yeah. And stature is a weird thing to say about Hillary Swank. You yeah. know she's won two Oscars. She's got two Oscars. That's just bizarre. Anyway, um, although she's a very nice person. Um, you know, she's great. Uh, you think there's two reasons why. Well, there's a couple reasons why, but here's a couple of the major ones. Boat payments? Money. <laughs> or the chance to work with an amazing director. Yeah, not Now, no. the money we can't speak to. No. We don't know what she got paid. No. But the director is... Some guy whose name I can't pronounce. Exactly. Yeah. So Sorry, how would I, you do this? I, I don't know. I have no now, idea. Now she might have produced it. It may be done, uh, done, uh, uh, you know, with, it, with her production company attached. I, look, it, it, here's the deal. Uh, I mean, and yes, she is an executive producer on this, but that's meaningless to me. So, Nigel Sinclair is as well, and you know, uh, there's a, the, the, and Rennie Harlan's an executive producer on this. I mean, who, who knows how many cooks there were in the kitchen to put this thing together? But the resident is—it's uh, just—it's like so generic. I can't believe it. You know, she's a doctor. Maybe that makes it feminist. I don't know. Um, but she, uh, she find you know, she's uh, just separated from her husband. She's got a new apartment in New York, and uh oh, this all got it's a spooky, spooky. And it's, what's the with the apartment and the building? And oh my gosh, uh, Jeffrey Dean Morgan is in this, and uh, Christopher Lee is in this, and um, it doesn't really work. And here's the here's the interesting thing about this. Um, this was supposed to be, you know, the new Hammer films, and that's why Nigel Sinclair is, a, is an executive producer on this. The new Hammer films that was supposed to have its big spectacular launch with uh, Let Me In. Right. Right, and it's supposed to be a whole new thing. Well, now it looks like they're just making just crappy old thrillers like, like everybody else. That well, have, have, Let they're, Me they're, In did not Yeah, but, you know, well. true, but do some, I mean, look, it, it did better than this is going to do. And I know I, you, if you attach Hillary Swank, you think you're going to get theatrical distribution. No, not in this case. Very true. Whole new world. Bad times. Whole new world. Um, you know what? I love Babe. Mark, I love it. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't? A lot of people don't like Babe. How can you not like Babe? It's a freaking great movie. You realize that at the time, 
at the time, like that was like Oscar nominated special effects, and all it is is Oscar like Oscar winning special Oscar effects winning. and and nominated for best picture. Yeah. I mean, people forget this movie just like and exploded. James Cromwell was nominated. This was the, this was the only, since like since 1969 only, and I could I could be wrong on this. At least since 1980, only two G-rated films have ever been nominated for best picture: uh, Beauty and the Beast, Beauty and the Beast, and Babe. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that says a lot. This is a, but this is a live action film. A live action G rated film got nominated for Best Picture because it won people's hearts. Chris Noonan, Australian director, terrific, absolutely great. Um, you know, is it a great Blu ray? It's fine. It's a universal release. They kind of cranked it out. Uh, they got their beady live pocket blue junk on here and a few featurettes, and that's it. Um, the the feature commentary is with George Miller, which is always lovely because George Miller, he, who co wrote it, uh, you know, is the creator of Mad Max and you know Happy Feet and George Miller. You know, directed uh, Witches of Eastwick. He's, he's he's been around the block. He's a great guy. He used to be a doctor. You know that. Uh, very eclectic directorial taste. Love him. Mad Max and Babe. So yeah, it's awesome. He also drew, he drew, and he wrote co-wrote this, but he directed Babe uh, Pig in the City, which has a certain Mad Max quality to it. Like the you know the dog with the eye patch that has the little chariot yeah. thing for legs. Yeah, that's very Mad Maxy. He's a twisted guy. He is. But anyway, this is just a great film. Get it on Blu-ray just because it's Babe. My gosh, pigs can talk. Babe it up. They're wonderful. Love them. Love them. All right. Uh, what do we got, Mark? I want this. Okay. <gasps> Could I have this? Sure. Yay! <laughs> 3D? Does it also play on a regular one? Of course it does. Oh, I so want this. I know you do. Yay, Uncle Wade gave me something I want. <laughs> it's, we're ta- I, I just surprised Mark. For those who are wondering why there's a, a sexual moment going on during the Digigods <laughs> podcast, I just surprised Mark, and I knew he'd enjoy this, with, with the, um, the Tron double feature on Blu-ray. This, three- this, this is like a Tron squambobble feature. This it is. There's like five discs in this damn thing. Yeah, yeah it's a big deal. Now, here's, here are the five discs. Tron Legacy th- uh, Blu-ray 3D, which I'll never watch. Um, by the way, can I say something about 3D? Yeah, go ahead. So uh, I was at the uh, Third Street Promenade, which is a which is an outdoor uh, pedestrian mall in Santa Monica, California. Sure. Uh-huh. And they had they had these big white kiosks. Right. And in the white kiosk, sure, was this uh, a Nintendo, uh, this new Nintendo handheld system. Of course. Where that's 3D. Yes. It like it's it's about the size of their regular DS. I think it's called. And Naturally. It flips open and then it's 3D. Un- indubitably. And there's no glasses. Don't need no. glasses for 3D. No. So I go in there, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a fan, I would never buy this thing, but I'm a fan Game Boy nerd, fanboy nerd, I'll go check this thing out, it's free. Yeah. And so I played two games on the new Nintendo DS 3D, whatever the hell they call it. Yeah. You know what? What? It's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> it, was, there was, it was like a car race game, and you know the, the car is sort of in a fixed position. Where, and all the uh, scenery moves around it to make it look as if you're going right, left, whatever. Right. And the car yeah. kind of sort of, in a way, yes. kind of comes out at you a little bit. That's nice. And <laughs> You know what? I, 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 when I was a kid, I went to Malibu Grand Prix. Those cars came out at you, too, because they were real. It's fine. <laughs> okay, anyway. All right, moving whatever. on. Moving uh, on. Uh, this, too, is uh, Tron Legacy, the regular Blu-ray. Uh, disc 3 is Tron Legacy, um, uh, just the DVD. Digital yep. copy of Tron Legacy is disc four. Disc five is Tron the uh, the original. Yes, Tron. Yeah. Now, um, which, which by the way looks like cave drawings compared to the. <laughs> it really does. Uh, I mean, it's it was prehistoric almost at the time, like a month after it was released. But now I'll, I'll say this: the uh, the um, 
the 3D on this was the first film since Avatar shot in 3D. It was not a post conversion 3D deal. They actually shot it with 3D cameras. Personally, I don't really see a difference. I know Cameron and Katzenberg are always like, you're devaluing 3D when you do a post-process. I I challenge anyone to actually tell me that they can see a difference. That being said... Um, they, I, I think this. I think the Tron Legacy looks gorgeous. It is. It is gorgeous. It is. It is fantastic. Uh, it's, I actually liked the movie. I didn't love the movie. I yeah. liked it. Uh, it, it, it looks. looks it looks very, very good. And and I did see it. In, you know, we saw it in 3D uh, in the theaters, and the 3D on the uh, on the Blu-ray is very close. Uh, very close to being as effective. So uh, obviously, you need to have a 3D player and a 3D television, which is an awful lot of hardware to invest in, unless you're just completely manic for the technology. But I, I as a 3D hater, I, I'm not going to hate completely on this thing. It's uh, the one for thing, those for whom it is targeted. It is it is it, it is effective. Uh, the one thing I did uh, the the the, uh, the one thing I did love about Tron Legacy, which uh, is. Um, <laughs> Wait. What? <laughs> Wait a second. There is only one person blurbed in this entire package. <laughs> yes. Only one person, Wade. I know. One person blurbed. I know. A spectacular, visually jaw-dropping mind blower says... Pete Hammond. From... Box office. Yeah, we know that. <laughs> uh, the score. It had a great score. Yeah. Like a, Daft a, Punk. It had a great score, like a legitimately, I don't know why it was not nominated for an Oscar, uh, great score. Because, you know, well, look, the original had a great score by Wendy Carlos previously, or was it Walter by that point? Did, it, did Wendy become Walter or did Walter become Wendy? I, I forget. No, uh, Walter went. became Wendy. That's right. So it was Wendy Carlos at the time. Walter did uh, Clockwork and uh, Wendy w- had become Wendy by the time Tron rolled around. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Okay. Anyway, uh, here's the thing. Uh, Tron, uh, there's, there's a lot of great... Uh, extras on the uh, not the 3D stupid one but there's a lot of great extras on the Tron Legacy Blu-ray the regular 2D version yeah um, which looks great now the original Tron was not a great looking film at the time I mean it was, it was, it was legendary at the time and yeah. visual effects hand painted and the, look the movie's fine it is what it is you know it, it should did it need to have a sequel I don't particularly like the original Tron that much I don't particularly care for the new Tron they're fine I, I get it they have their audience I'm not that audience but I like Jeff Bridges, and I like the fact that he plays his character this time out a little bit more like the dude. Uh, you know what? And I was good with that. I, I, I felt, when he did that, I felt like the director, who has never, who'd never done a feature film, you know, kind of was like, all right, you're the Oscar winner. You created this. Thing. If you want to be the dude, then am I really the guy to tell you to not be the dude? You know? Yeah, uh, I hear you. So anyway, I would recommend Tron Legacy and the uh, Tron Classic uh, uh, Blu-ray collection. I really would. I think this is a good, good. I think it's a good purchase. It's it's a. It, I, I I will too. Even though I'm not that fond of the films. Uh, Casino Jack is a uh, movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So so there was the Alex Gibney documentary on Casino Jack, uh, and which was very good. And I guess the uh, the the whole scandal was found sufficiently juicy that they said, "Let's go crazy and let's do Casino Jack, the fictitious film," which was directed by George Hickenlooper, also a very good documentarian, as he did, you know, Hearts of Darkness. But Hickenlooper died before this film was released, which is really sad because he was young, very good director. Um, so very sad. But uh, unfortunately, I don't think Casino Jack is the greatest film to go out with. Um, this was supposed to be kind of a a big Oscar contender with Kevin Spacey playing Jack Abramoff and all that stuff, and I don't know that it really works. No, it never really went anywhere. It it just 
the, the whole movie feels a little too almost campy in a weird way. Well, you know, there, there's something about Kevin Spacey at this point where I don't know that I can take him all that seriously anymore. I don't know what it is. I don't take him seriously anymore, Kevin yeah. Spacey. I mean, I like him a lot. I mean, and he had a great run, but the, at this the, point... When I stopped taking him seriously was, I think, the first big musical dance number in Under the Sea. Or Beyond the Sea, sorry. Beyond, Beyond the, sea? the Sea. Yeah, Beyond the Sea. That was the worst. Yeah. Um, yeah, not into it. But it's got a good cast. Barry Pepper. By, by the way, it's about Jack Abramoff and the whole, the whole, the whole uh, yeah. lobbyist uh, yeah. scandal. Yeah. Uh, Barry Pepper, Kelly Press, and John Lovitz. By the way, John Lovitz. Is very good. Well, can I say that uh, I, the saw, best thing I, I saw John Lovitz on Friday um, outside my office. Yeah. Because uh, I, uh, I work at a TV network. Yeah. Cable network. And... Um, now, Lovitz is a legendary schlump. Yeah. Like a serious schlump. Yeah. So when I saw him outside, walking outside the, in the courtyard of the cable network where I work, uh, I knew something was definitely up. Why? Because John Lovitz had actually tucked in his schlumpy shirt. So if he's going to really? tuck in his shirt, oh my. you know there must have been a high-level meeting Wow. he had to attend. Because, you know, Lovitz is a schlump. He likes to eat. He likes to... And he's got his little... Stand, he's, a, he's got a stand-up comedy club in, at the yeah, Universal the, City Walk. Yeah, my goodness. And well, here, before I get into some stuff, uh, some compilation discs and classic film uh, releases, we've got one big classic film release. First time ever on Blu-ray. Incredibly well restored. i got to say, this is a terrific restoration. Uh, it's got to be one of the better Blu-rays out there. And uh, even though I think the movie's crap, everyone loves it. We're talking about The Ten Commandments, which, of course, would be on television on Easter, as it always is, uh, except with commercials, it winds up running something like six and a half hours. It just takes the whole day. And, of course, it's not really an Easter movie. It's a Passover movie. So it's like the this is, you know, what Jews and Christians can watch together on Easter. I don't know. I don't know what the point of the programming is. Cecil B. DeMille was just unbelievably overindulgent back in 1956. And uh, that's when uh, Charlton Heston put all the, uh, the gray hair and beard on and said... Uh, God will punish you. But this is Cecil B. DeMille's The Ten Commandments on Blu-ray. An excellent, excellent restoration. Even if you don't like the film, uh, you can't help but be incredibly impressed. There's commentary on here by the... Uh, by by guy, Moses. No, by the guy who basically wrote the book on... Uh, not the Bible book, but the book on the movie. And... Um, some uh, some some an interesting thing here on the uh, the premiere the original New York premiere and then uh, some trailers. It's uh, but what a restoration! I got to tell you, it's a gorgeous Blu-ray, really fabulous. Shows off. Uh, it's it's one of the better ones. It's right up there with you know Bridge of the River Kwai and like wow. Thin Red Line. Yeah, that is high praise. It is high praise. So before we get into some kid stuff here, Mark. Yes. I'm going to uh, roll very quickly through some restorations of old movies that have just been blown out for people who take an interest. Uh, we've got a couple here from the Paramount Library that are being released by Olive. Now, Olive Films has an output deal with Paramount where they basically take a lot of the stuff that Paramount just doesn't want to have to deal with, and Olive wants to treat them a little more carefully, and they say, we'll take care of that. We'll do that for you. Uh, Rope of Sand was directed by William Dieterle. Produced by Hal Wallace. This is not a bad film. This is a classic old black and white film from 1949 with Peter Lorre and Burt Lancaster and Paul Henreid and Claude Rains. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, my gosh, that almost sounds like a, a sequel to Casablanca or something. And um, it, it 
kind of sort of might almost be. Um, it takes place uh, in in uh, this African city, and there's a an interesting kind of noirish intrigue that goes on, and it's uh, it's a pretty good movie. It's not a brilliant movie. Uh, it's not one of the best of its age, but it's it's got its uh, boy. It's really stylish. I enjoyed it. And then uh, The Mountain stars Spencer Tracy, a very aging Spencer Tracy, and a very young Robert Wagner. This is directed by Eddie Dimitrick. Eddie Dimitrick, of course, has become really controversial over the years because he named names, and uh, you know, like Elia Kazan. And a lot of people really were very bitter against him. He was blacklisted, kind of reverse blacklisted for a while for having done that. This is from uh, 1956, and uh, Dimitrick taught at USC. A lot of people we know were taught by him. And notwithstanding what you may think of his politics or his actions at the time, uh, he's a good director. He directed, you know, The Young Lions and a lot of really classic films with some amazing actors. And the thing about Dimitrick is, even though he always kind of poo-pooed the actor's relationship with the director, as many of our friends would say when they asked him about directing actors, he would say, I don't know, I had Bogey. I had Montgomery Clift. As if to say, I just had good actors. I never directed them. But it's not really true. He gets good performances from his people. And uh, this is, uh, you know, this is a mountain climbing movie, which is always kind of a, when you see the fake snow, you always kind of go, oh, great. But you know what? Honestly, Spencer Tracy and Robert Wagner, um, on their way to reach a plane crash, it's good interaction, good uh, good acting between uh, an old veteran and uh, an up-and-come, you know, a young up-and-comer at the time. And it's a, kind of an underrated movie, so check that out. And really quickly before we get into kid stuff, we've got a quartet of old uh, Gregory Peck movies from Universal that they are just blowing out of the library. I wish they'd have done kind of a boxed set you know, with a bit of fanfare on this, but it, it is is fine. Um, Gregory Peck and Tony Curtis in a comedy, Captain Newman, M.D. Is it as funny as something like, uh, you know, oh, Ensign, uh, Ensign, what was that? Uh, Ensign Pulver. Ensign Pulver, or uh, what was the other one? Uh, Ensign Pulver. Yeah, whatever, Ensign Pulver, all those, uh, <laughs> those, those movies. Is it, is it that funny? Not really, but it's, you know what, Tony Curtis is funny. Um, Gregory Peck, not so funny, but it's fine. Uh, Stanley Donnan directed Gregory Peck and Sophia Loren in Arabesque, which... Uh, I'm surprised that, uh, uh, that they wouldn't just release Arabesque. Is this what part you... of the output deal? No, 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 this is, no, yeah, no, no, this is straight from Universal. Sorry, wait, I was, I was reading about the uh, Charlie Sheen uh, oh, oh, the meltdown uh, in Detroit? In Detroit the other Oh, day. my gosh, and he's got like 21 more play dates in the next 30 days. Well, no, he actually, he has, he has, he has about uh, two more hours to figure out how he's going to fix that show. <laughs> it, 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 fix? It, well, because supposedly, here's the thing, he has, uh, as A.O. A. Scott of the New York Times wrote, yeah. he supposedly has um, mistaken, like, curi- like train wreck curiosity with, like, actual adulation. Uh-huh. Okay. Move on. Well, anyway, uh, you know, the whole point here was that this was supposed to be kind of charade-like, I guess. Uh, not really. It doesn't, doesn't really come across, but... Um... You know what, St- uh, Gregory Peck and Sophia Loren, those two in any movie directed by Stanley Donnan, I, how do you not recommend that? Uh, Gregory Peck and Diane Baker in Mirage. This is a little bit more about kind of a noirish thriller, not so not so great. Uh, Gregory Peck and Anne Blythe in The World in His Arms, which is uh, more of a soapy romance, goopy, goopy technicolor romance. Uh, that's a little silly, too. Uh, you know what? Any of them are fine, I guess, if you're a Gregory Peck fan. He's he's always good to look at, right? Even for straight guys. Gregory Peck. Even if you're, you know, women love him, gay men love him, everyone loves him. Gregory Peck. Well, you make him sound like he's, uh... I don't know what I'm saying. Like he's got some kind of intestinal problem. Maybe he um, does. 
And then we got from uh, Warner Brothers the uh, TCM Turner Classic Movies Greatest Classic Films Collection and uh, Greatest Classic Legends Collections. We have, uh, you know, they released four films on these sets, and they're fine. This is Tarzan Volume 1, four Johnny Weissmuller movies, Tarzan and His Mate, Tarzan Escapes, Tarzan the Ape Man, Tarzan Finds His Son. Um, <laughs> what? Tarzan Finds His Son. Is that what you're laughing at? I don't know. Whatever Tarzan Look, was going to find. Friggin- my... <laughs> If I would have said it, he would have found something much funnier than his son. I guarantee you that. You know, look, Johnny Weissmuller is Tarzan. The movies are not that good, but they're, they got a certain kind of sticky, kitschy, vintage thing going. And then in uh, Tarzan Volume 2, released the same time, uh, Tarzan's Secret Treasure, Tarzan of the Amazons, uh, Tarzan's New York Adventure. Oh, that's great. <laughs> And Tarzan and the Leopard Woman. You notice they get progressively loopier as as we go along. It's like we got we're running out of ideas for our Tarzan movies. Weissmuller and the, the loincloth. What else can we do? He's like he's got a monkey. He's got a girl. He's got I don't know. Let's put him in New York. Put him in Vegas. Let's uh, Tarzan goes to Tarzan and the Leopard. Tarzan on the moon. Awesome. Tarzan drives a spaceship out of control. Crashes into Pluto. Just gets really? out of control. Yeah, almost. And then from the Legends Collection, we got Betty Davis in Now Voyager, Dark Victory, Old Acquaintance, and Jezebel. Honestly, if you don't have any of these individually and you're not concerned about the lack of extras on these uh, bare-bones sets, she's picked this up for crying out loud. Um, you see that. Yeah, it's fabulous, you know. It's four terrific films. I mean, usually there's a ringer in there. There's no ringer in there. I guess you'd have to say Old Acquaintance would be the only ringer. You know what? It's still a good film. Yeah. It really, it's not like, oh, really? They went and found the stinker? No, it's not a stinker. And uh, then we have the Marlon Brando set. There's a couple of ringers here. You've got Julius Caesar, which is a good film, not as good as some people think it is. Streetcar Named Desire, which is brilliant. And then they round it out with uh, the Tea House of the August Moon and Reflections in a Golden Eye, neither of which are very good. So uh, I'll let you kind of, that's a 50-50 call there. I'd almost buy the other two separately. Well, would you, here's the thing, you know, because last week they had uh, Marlon Brando, uh, uh, they finally released Last Tango in Paris, which was a very controversial, yeah. very sexual uh, butter butter movie and uh, <laughs> I wonder if you should watch that or maybe you should watch Be Happy It's Purim yes from the Sesame Street Shalom Sesame Collection now now this is from Sisu they uh, release a lot of uh, uh, Jewish and Hebrew DVDs and uh, their Shalom Sesame series is uh, which is of course the Hebrew version of uh, uh, Sesame Street is really popular well this one is uh, there's the Mark tell us what Purim is how the hell do I know <laughs> you're, you're, but you're of the persuasion. I'm of the. Uh, I, I, I. Here's the thing. I'm. I'm not an. I'm not an atheist. I consider myself an agnostic. In the yeah. strict definition. Yes. In the strict definition, which means I believe that the question is unknowable. However, which is true. however, so I. I. I am an agnostic. Uh, however, the one thing I do know is that uh, this thing is ridiculous, <laughs> and I just can't believe that they actually do. I think it's cool. Although, all the, you know what? We Jews need all the, all the, uh, all the uh, people we can get uh, practicing the faith because they can be me. Um, but you know what? Eva Longoria is in this. How can we not love Eva Longoria being in a Perm Sesame it's Street awesome. thing? I love it. Anyway, there's 12 episodes uh, from the creators of Sesame Street, and each one uh, is all about another Jewish holiday. And uh, Grover explains. <laughs> I love hearing Grover explain Israel. <laughs> oh, 1948. There was. A- I mean, what does he say? I don't know. <laughs> the best. It's, you know, it's, you just got to go with it. And, and then there's, uh, a, there's well, there's the other one is a Grover plants for Grover plants a tree, which is another part of the Shalom Sesame uh, yeah. series. And uh, here it's uh, it's it, there's a there's a there's a day called like Tubishvati, which I 
wasn't all that familiar with and really I'm still not. <laughs> However, you're supposed to plant a tree, I believe, yeah. on two uh, bishvati, whatever they call yeah. it, two bishvat. I, I, I'll, I'll, yeah. Okay. And uh, it's a day to like, kind of like, you know, celebrate trees. And uh, celebrate this. Um, oh, my God. Greg Kinnear's in this. Isn't that great? Oh, Your buddy. Oh, my God. Deborah Messing and Greg Kinnear. It's best. I think they should have these for all cultures around the world. Greg Kinnear and Deborah Messing are in this. The world would be a better place if there were like a, you know, a, a version that celebrated everything. So that everyone would have Sesame Street sort of validating their sense of self. All right. Well, here's the thing. Uh, if you love Sesame Street but you're an anti-Semite, we do have Wild Words, which has nothing to do with Israel or anything Jewish. Uh, this is Wild Words and Outdoor Adventure. This is good stuff. Uh, this is more str- This is more straight ahead um, Sesame Street type fair where um, Freddie Flatman, Freddie Flatman, yes, okay, convinces Big, Wor- uh, Big Bird to uh, to uproot himself and move to a new uh, like a new habitat. And so, because of that, you get all sorts of uh, crazy. You learn all sorts of crazy stuff about uh, the outdoors. So it's good stuff. Awesome. There's bears hibernating. Bears. Elizabeth Hasselback is in this. Meredith Vieira. How, where, what is Deborah it like? The view? This is all of a sudden the view. <laughs> exactly. Okay. I don't know. What all right. Uh, Fire Breather is a uh, is a animated show that was on the Cartoon Network, and um, you know it was an original film. It did pretty well. Uh, did they ever turn this into a series? I don't know that they did. I don't know if this is a backdoor pilot or not, or whether it was just a uh, a series. Uh, just a, a TV movie. Anyway, it's about uh, this high school kid, and um, he's uh, he's a high school kid who's part of a race of these like super tall monsters yeah. who are in conflict with humanity. And uh, I, this stuff isn't really my cup of tea because I'm not 12. But uh, the DVD, the uh, Blu-ray looks great. Uh, special features include deleted scene, 3D animation, test animatics, and uh, other stuff. Uh, you know, if you dig this kind of crap, uh, go for it. I don't because I don't belong to a race of 100-foot-tall monsters who are, are in con- conflict with humanity to, to control the planet. Okay, well. I, I barely it, got that out, by the way. Yeah. Uh, peanut stuff, some great peanut stuff. I love peanuts. I grew up on these things. I think they have maintained the quality over the years, which is incredible because everything else has gone to crap in recent decades. So uh, bravo, you know, over there at... Uh, Paramount and CBS and whoever else has a, has a hand in these things. Um, the two terrific films, uh, A Boy Named Charlie Brown and Snoopy Come Home, these are not like holiday specials. These are, you know, the actual like feature-length or relatively feature-length movies um, are terrific. They're really, really good. This is from the late 70s, early, uh, late 60s, early 70s, and uh, they're both great, and they're both available now on a Peanuts double feature, which I totally recommend, even though it's not Blu-ray. I wish they'd do the Blu-ray on this. And then uh, a new Peanuts movie, Happiness is a Warm Blanket, Charlie Brown. This is, uh, this is a whole new deal. And uh, it stays true to the spirit and the writing and the animation and the voices. And uh, you, you feel like they've really made an effort to, uh, to maintain the legacy, which is terrific because so much other stuff like that, like some of the new Frosty the Snowman stuff in like CGI animation, it's dreadful. And I just had this fear. It's like, hey, let's try doing Peanuts, you know, with 3D CGI animation. That would be great. No, no, just stay true to the original vision and you'll be fine. And uh, some really good special features here, uh, like this one thing called Deconstructing Schultz, which is uh, the whole story of, you know, how the comic strip became this, uh, this, you know, television and movie phenomenon. And uh, it's good. Uh, So get your Peanuts on with all of those. 
And then for those of you that like things girly, I've got a couple of recommendations for you. We got Barbie, a fairy secret. And then we have Strawberry Shortcake, putting on the glitz. Now, both of these are very pink and very girly. And uh, I didn't relate to any of that in any way at all. But I imagine that there are little girls somewhere who are just going to go nuts for this stuff. So the Barbie series is, uh, they're doing a feature film Barbie, aren't they? After all of the, the, the Toy Story success with Barbie and Ken as characters? I don't see why not. I mean, it's a very exploitable character. Well, it is, and these these straight-to-DVD things have done pretty well, but I don't know if you're going to... Well, okay. Knock, knock yourselves out. Uh, although, i got to say, Strawberry Shortcake, as much as I just hate the character and I hate the whole concept, uh, there's something kind of cute about it. Because you see, look at the pink, look at the pink Aww, case. Stupid Barbie. The case is pink. Stupid Strawberry Barbie Shortcake thing. Yeah, whoever she is. Exactly. Uh, Wade, The Little Engine That Could. Now, everybody knows The Little Engine That Could. This is a uh, classic children's story. Uh, it's about an engine that can, like, do stuff. <laughs> Way! Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, the original Little Engine That Could, uh, way, way back, if you want to totally trace its lineage, it goes back to, like, 1906 in a story called Thinking One Can. And uh, eventually, uh, The Little Engine That Could was created by uh, Waddy Piper, and it has endured. Mm. Uh, by the way, Waddy Piper, a pen name. Ah, yes. The person's name was not actually Waddy. Mm. His real name was Arnold Monk. Well, that's interesting. Anyway, a little engine that could is now an all-new movie. This is straight to DVD fair. This includes voices from Whoopi Goldberg, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Corbin Blue, Brenda Song, and Allison Stoner. And, uh, you know, what could you say? It's, uh, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. I mean, I think that little engine that could is better as a, um, it is better as a, a book with illustrations. Yeah. It's that sort of a teacher, like sit there with your child, read it together, teach them that if you try, you can do anything sort of a thing, as opposed to shutting them up and sitting them down in front of a TV to watch this thing for an hour and a half. But, uh, you know, it could have been a lot worse. So, um, you know, it's okay. Little engine that could. You know, there, were, there was a really interesting Hanna-Barbera. We have a couple of, uh, just to wrap the show out here, I think we might squeeze one more thing in. Warner Brothers, um, has, as part of the Warner Archive collection, they're releasing all the Hanna-Barbera stuff, Hanna-Barbera Classic Collection. And the, uh, this one show has kind of been forgotten, The Space Cadets and Young Samson. You remember that? It was like two different, uh, I mean, it was two I, and I one. I remember the Space Cadets, not Young. Uh, you know what I do? Actually, well, they were part of the same it, show. I remember Young Sam. It was kind of like uh, Rock and Bullwinkle, all these different segments, right? And Space Cadets are kind of the funnier one, the cuter one, these little kids, and they, you know, scoot around the universe, and they do all this heroic stuff. And it's very kind of spy kids uh, in space. It, it really very fun, very funny, very well animated. And then uh, much more realistic stuff in Young Samson, which is... Um, you know, a little more magical, and uh, the, the whole idea is that his do- when whenever he, you know he like the dog becomes a lion, right? And they fight all of these various creatures, and you know he he becomes this muscle bound hero, and it's a little hulkish, right? Kind of, kind of, yeah. sort of, sort of, more like Shazam, actually, more like Shazam. Yeah, because it's got one a Shazam edge. And then turns into another. Yeah, because he snaps the bracelets, and then he becomes the hulky guy, and the dog becomes the lion. Anyway, it's a good show. Uh, really, uh, get this for the kids. It, you know, they'll relive all of you. They'll realize how crappy their animated stuff is, and how much better ours is. And then also, uh, Valley of the Dinosaurs was not one of my favorite Hanna Barbera shows at the time. Um, but it, it's kind of, I guess, made a comeback with a certain cult set. 
And I'll say this, um, even though the idea of humans living among dinosaurs is still completely ridiculous, they somehow made it sort of kind of work here, and I do like it better than Land of the Lost, which is just beyond stupid. Um, so it's this is not terribly well animated, not terribly well written, but again, it's got kind of a kitschy, weird cult following, and uh, consider it like a more realistic version of the Flintstones, only without uh, treadmills and, uh, you know, Arnold the Paperboy. There you go.